12. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent us his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So good to see everyone this morning. I hope that you're having a great morning and that the Lord is encouraging you. Um, I am so um, thrilled to be with you all today on the Lord's Day, and I hope that we can all um, think of ways. This is a chapter in Scripture that is about love, right? And this is a world right now where we need to learn how to express it well, um, because of COVID-19, because of politics, um, there, there's always, it's, it seems like the past few months have just been sort of racked with tension. And how can we love each other when we can't even give each other a hug? Um, <laughs> right? Like, um, how can we not ignore each other right? because um, of what's going on in the world today or avoid a conversation because it involves politics and yet still be able to love a person with the passionate love of Jesus Christ. Um, th this is the world that we live in, and we got to think of creative ways and live in faith um, to how God has called us to live. I hope that one way that we can do that together is um, by, by joining together on October 30th um, to, to just serve and love our community. We're going to be showing them a, a couple of short films and just giving them some, some popcorn, bags of popcorn. And um, it's going to be a great time to just be able to express, even in a small way, the love of Christ to people, to give them a small token of favor um, from God. And it's going to be a lot of fun. It's, gonna, it's not here, just so you know. Um, this event is not something run by us. Um, the, the Warren Parks Department is running it. Um, so they're doing all the advertising and recruiting and all this. Um, the director just asked me if we would provide the movie equipment and show a movie at the end of their event because I've, I've built a relationship with her and I know who she is. And I'm sure, I said, sure, I'm, I'm delighted to help out. And um, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I hope that you can join us for that. Um, and um, if you can, if you want to help out, e even if you can't come that day, I need some people to help out with things like someone to go shopping for popcorn for me, things like that. You know, So if you can help out but can't come, just put your name and just put in parentheses, I can't come, but I want to help. Okay, um, It's just one way to love our community. Why do we do it? We do it very simply because it's a small thing, but we do it very simply to show people that Jesus is alive and that we want to serve them. We want to love them. It's a small way to do it, and we do that in a lot of different ways in our community, I, I think, and um, this is just one way. So um, I hope that you can participate and sign up in the back. And it's so, it was so good last week to um, witness the baptism of Milena and Carla, wasn't it? Um, I hope that you were here, and if you weren't, um, there's no guilt, of course. We live in a very strange world right now, so um, we have it online. If you want to watch it, you can go to our Facebook account or our YouTube account, 
and um, the whole service was put online. What beautiful testimonies and what a wonderful time to celebrate. So I hope that you can do that if you missed it, if you can watch that. Um, some years ago, my wife and I spent some time um, serving what we thought a very diverse community in Western Mass, Massachusetts. If you've never been to Western Massachusetts, they have the most extreme kind of any view, <laughs> right? So if you're liberal, the most extreme kind of liberal person lives there. If you're conservative, they got two Trump hats. They wear one forward and one backward, just in case you missed the front of them, right? Like, so any kind of religion, Everything's out there in the most extreme form. It was, it was a really, you know, in one sense it was a strange place, but it was a wonderful place. And we had such a wonderful time serving um, the people there. Um, when I was in Amherst, um, by the way, Amherst is like this a city, a college city in the middle of nowhere, right? Like it's just this vast forest and rolling hills, and then all of a sudden, like the land of Oz, you approach UMass Amherst, and this city appears out of nowhere. Um, there are five colleges in that area, and I think about 100,000 100, students in all of the five colleges. And when college is out, um, almost all of them leave and go home, and it turns into a ghost town, right? So that's, that's UMass Amherst. At UMass Amherst, I attended my first peaceful protest, <laughs> and it was actually peaceful. Um, but I, have, I attended my first peaceful protest. I actually was more there as a fly on the wall. I wasn't really protesting anything. I just heard about the event and I thought, isn't this interesting? I want to go check it out. I've never seen one of these before. Um, I'm not the protesting kind. Um, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. It's just not what I think about. So, but I was like, this is, a, this is a very interesting thing. I know a lot of the students are going to show up. So I want to check this out. Um, supposedly, uh, the Westboro Baptist Church had announced that they were going to show up in a public place at UMass to protest one of their openly gay athletes. Well, um, this group that, um, pardon the expression, but just so that you know who they are, popularized the God Hates Fags slogan, never showed up. But hundreds and hundreds of students did. Um, and they rallied around this one young man who was openly gay. Um, and they came armed with counter slogans. And guess what was on most of them? God is love. By far, what I read the most on this sea of signs was that simple verse found here right in 1 John chapter 4. God is love. It's an amazing biblical truth maxim and way of life that God is indeed love we could spend countless hours meditating on this one simple statement that we find here buried in a sea of scripture God is love he is love it's so profound so simple if we know anything about love if we've ever loved anyone or anyone has ever loved us the only reason we have experienced this is because God gave us the ability to love because he is love. We can't love without him. And he made us like him so that we're not rocks or trees or bees. And I know there are some maybe people out here that say, hey, I, I know that rocks love me and bees love me. But I, I, I just want to suggest to you that there's a unique way in which human beings can love each other in a way that nothing else can because we are made in God's image and God is love. <clears throat> and now, I think, 
um, what is this profound Christian principle is wielded more as a counter-argument. A counter-argument toward an egregious and grossly unbiblical group that claims to come in the name of Jesus Christ. So God is love has turned into a slogan. It's turned into a rebuttal rather than a lived experience. Experiencing the love of God and loving him likewise, which is what the word of God intends us to do with this, to not win an argument, to not pitch a statement so that we can, can prove someone wrong, but so that we actually might love him and that he might love us. Theologically, um, love um, is categorized as an attribute of God. Um, some call it a perfection of God, along with his holiness and his power and his knowledge. These are all attributes of God or perfections of God. Some people call them perfections because if, if it's an attribute of God, he possesses it perfectly. You see, we have the attribute of knowledge, but he has the perfect attribute of knowledge. So his knowledge is without limit. It's without beginning or ending, you see? So God is the perfection. It's not just an attribute. He is the perfection of love, the source of love, the origin of love. <clears throat> so if God is love, we need to seek out the definition. Something happened over there. Did you see that? It's a little spooky. Ooh. So if God is love, I don't know, it's getting near Halloween, something's going on. Um, if God is love, we need to seek out the definition of love by understanding who God is, right? We, ca we can try to make up our own definition of what love is and what it means, but we're always going to fall short unless we go to the author of it, the one who is love. He teaches us best what love is. So for the next couple of weeks, um, there's more to this passage that we didn't read. So for, the, for next week and perhaps the week after, we're going to be very interested in love, what love is and what to do with it. So we want to approach our text sort of to examine our own um, misconceptions, perhaps, or presumptions about what love is and sort of allow God, who is the author of love, who is love, allow him to correct us, if need be. Right? I think that it's remarkable that John needs to say these words. Dear friends, let us love one another. That he even has to tell us to do it is telling. So the first thing that I can see out of this we're having some funky business going on over here, if you haven't noticed. So, so we don't have these points for you. So you're actually going to have to really focus with me, okay? The first thing that we can draw out of this passage is that love is imperative. In other words, it's a command. It is not an option. It is life for us. Without love, we die. It's just the God, if God is love, and he made us in, in his image, then we have to be loved too. Or we'll fight against our nature and create a sort of misery in us. Love is imperative. It's not an option. If you want to live, 
if you want to survive, you need to love. So isn't it true, isn't it remarkable that John needs to even tell us this? Dear friends, let us love one another. That kind of tells me that love doesn't come natural to sinners. Self-preservation, jealousy, and coveting come natural to sinners. Selfishness comes natural. Vindication, jealousy, all these things. That's what comes natural to hearts that are far from God, which the Bible says all are, until they come to faith in Christ. It implies that we fight and struggle to actually love in a way that is consistent and like our God. In a world wrecked with sin, we are not prone to love our neighbor. We are prone to love ourselves. So he says, friends, love one another. It's very simple. I don't think it needs much comment. But I have to ask us as God's people, how are we doing with that? How are we doing with love? Like I said before, like they're, 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 it's difficult to love each other now. A lot of times, like the ways that we express love can be very physical. right? We're in each other's homes, and now we kind of feel like, is that allowed? Can I hug this person? Can I not? Should we wear red bracelets? Right? Like, like what's going on? This is, a, this is a crazy world. Maybe for you, love means that you hug somebody. But maybe for you, love means that you don't. You see, and maybe that requires wisdom on your part to know the difference. You see what I mean? You see, God requires us to love like him. And sometimes that love makes us uncomfortable. And un- being uncomfortable goes both ways. And when I look at this kind of like world of, of, of sickness that we live in, being, un- being uncomfortable for you might mean that you have to wear a mask at church. And now you're grumpy and you don't like it. But, you know, is it possible that you're loving someone by doing it? But I think it could go in the reverse, too. And this is where it becomes very personal. Maybe sometimes love is taking it off. You see, what we need to do as Christians is we need to discern the movement of God and to have faith and trust him as he moves us and not judge other people with what they're doing. Isn't that true? You see, how are we loving people? Can you think of unique ways? Can you think of unique ways to serve each other, to prefer each other? Maybe it's uncomfortable to use your time to serve the church in the ways that God has gifted you. Maybe it's time to start doing that. Maybe it's, th- it's time to start doing like drive-by something at someone's house because they've been sick or isolated because they're elderly. Maybe that's a way that we can love them. Hold out a sign in front of their house, God is love, right? And they'll see your face and know who you are and feel loved. They can't get out of their house right now. You see what I mean? How are we? Love is imperative. We cannot just sit in our living rooms and die. We need to love each other. Isn't that true? Why love? Why not covet? Why not exact vengeance? Why not look out for myself? Why not hold a grudge? What's the reason for love? That's the second thing I want to talk about. John says, <clears throat> love one another because love comes from God. Love one another because love comes from God. Now, you say, what, this sounds a little cryptic. What, what the heck's this talking about? Friends, we are most like God when we love like God. Why is it important for you to be like God? Why not be like a snail or a fish or a tree? Well, because those things were not created in God's image. You were. 
So we have a need to love each other. It's our nature to love each other, and when we don't love each other, it is counterproductive to who God has made us to be. So it's difficult. You ever live a non-loving life? Hold a grudge, you're angry at somebody, you're not forgiving them, whatever it might be? How fun is that? How's that working out? Why is it that when we don't love, life is miserable? Well, it's because you're made in the image of God and you are resisting who God has made you to be. So surrender. Begin to love. <clears throat> we are most like God when we love like God. We are most like God when we love like God. And when we are most like God, we are most satisfied. Okay? Love doesn't originate in us. It comes from God. <clears throat> Love one another because love comes from God. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't come from your grandma, and it doesn't come from your dog. Those things love us, but why do they love us? Because God, loves, God is loving us through them. Right? Love comes from God. If you've ever experienced love from someone else or something else, or if you've ever loved someone else or something else, it's because God has made you like him, and you can love because he gave it to you the imago Dei, the image of God. And each and every human being thrives off of and flourishes off of love. Right? Some of the happiest people that you're ever going to meet are people that know how to love. You ever meet someone that is just truly, genuinely loving? And it seems like they're like that all the time. I had an aunt, a great aunt and great uncle that were like that. Now, I know I'm not with them every moment, so I'm sure they have their days, right? But, like, they just seem to have this peculiar compassion. And, and they, they just, they seem to shine because of it. They didn't see, seem to, like, be racked with anxiety or depression, right? They had this unique ability to love. They're the happiest people on this earth that you'll meet. Um, scripture is bold to announce that it is not possible. Now, did you hear what it said? It is not possible to be born of God and not possess the fruit of love. Let me say it like this. To be born of God means that he endows you with a supernaturally, supernatural ability to love like he loves. Everyone who loves God, it says, every, excuse me, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. In other words, if you do not love God or your neighbor, you have not been born of God. Oh, isn't that a hard reality? That love is proof perfect of your salvation? You see, our ability to love other people, that doesn't save us. The Lord Jesus Christ saves us. But when he makes us like him, when we're born again into the kingdom of God, when he saves us, our eyes are open and he births in us compassion. It's one of the proofs that our faith indeed was saving. Jesus said in John 3 that to not be born again means that we do not enter eternal life, the kingdom of heaven. That it's by grace through faith in the death and resurrection that we are indeed born again so that we might be reconciled to God, made right with him, and have eternal life. And the, and the fruit of that eternal life in you is love. If God is love, how can we now say that we see him and that we've been born of him, but our hearts are full of anger and hate? 
You see, that's what John is challenging. How can the God of love make you alive and not have you love likewise? That's what he does in us. Oh, friends, I know that no one loves perfectly. I know that God's children go through dark times. But if you have been born again, you will know that you have a tendency in your heart to forgive and to love. Isn't that true? And if you're not loving, you know, like, this isn't right. Something's wrong. This has got to be fixed. It rubs up against you. It resists the Holy Spirit that's in you. See, friends, God does not love. Oh, what a a wonderful principle this is. God does not love because he finds objects deserving of his love. Rather, he loves because he is love. It is his nature to love. So what is love, baby? Don't hurt me. What is love? No, you don't know. Half of you missed that because you don't know 90s songs. Um, What is love? That's the million-dollar question, right? Okay. What is it? How do I love like God? What does it mean, and what are its implications? Uh, Dr. Keller, I think you guys know him. I've mentioned him before. Some of you have seen his sermons and read his books. But he once wisely noted that in the West, um, by and large, people in the West aren't very religious. Isn't that true? Um, a lot of people don't go to church anymore. They wouldn't describe themselves as Christians. But if you get them talking about God, how would they describe him? He's loving. God is love. So in the West, Dr. Keller notes that our, our concept of God, if we even believe in him at all, is that he's loving. But it's not like that everywhere in this world. In the East, it's different. In the East, God is just. God is righteous. God does not overlook sin. Because who wants a God like that? Where where Mussolini and Hitler just get away with everything, right? So in the East, God is just, and he cannot compromise his holiness or justice or righteousness. In the West, God is love, you see? It's sort of like this, this um, that diverse principle where they're, they're sort of disagreeing, where these different cultures understand God differently. So like, as I said, our, I think our, our Western world is anything but religious, but it has the echo of Christianity still sort of resounding, And some of its values linger on. In the West, um, if people start to describe God, the idea is that God accepts us the way we are, right? He forgives us no matter what, and he'll never reject anybody, right? Not only that, though, a great many things, because God is love, in, in the Western mind, if love is the operating principle, love will justify almost any behavior, you see, if I do X, Y, and Z, and I say, well, it's because of love that I did it, then it will justify it all, especially as it relates to romance and sexuality, right? So if there's love present, marriage isn't necessary. Um, man and woman sort of dynamics don't matter either, right, when it comes to human sexuality and romance. Sort of, so this, this concept of love is sort of like the operating principle. It's, it sort of justifies any sort of relationship or anything that we might end up in. Today's world might define love, I think, as sort of like a feeling of affection for someone else, right? Like positive mojo towards somebody, right? Isn't that true? That's part of it, by the way, um, but it's not all of it. So we would describe it as like the part of it that cares for another human being. And it's not absolutely wrong, But the love of God is more than that. It's deeper than a simple positive posture towards another human being, an attraction or an affection that we have have or feel. 
Love is deeper than that. It's so much deeper than that. And our text reminds us, by the way, that compassion is costly and in the process defines love for us. Listen to what it says. This is how God, in verse 9, this is how God showed his love to us. Okay? How do we know that God loves us? Well, because he tore off his clothes and slept with us, right? Or, or he brought us a, you know, a bouquet of roses. Those are all nice things. Well, maybe the first one is kind of weird, but the second one is pretty cool, right? <laughs> this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us by sending his son to us as a sacrifice for our sin. The way in which God loved us was by identifying what was wrong with us and not making us pay for it, but paying for it himself. That's love. You see, love isn't a new rendezvous with a new girl. And I would, I would even venture to say that love is not fully expressed in the form of, of a relationship with another person even a wife or a husband. Love is expressed in this form. It is self-sacrificial. It takes um, a burden off of someone else so that they can live. You see, that's what love is in Scripture. There's a remarkable tension in these two verses. I don't know if you noticed it. God is love. He is the source and origin of love. But God is not only love. God is also righteous. So in the West, as I said, God is love. Um, and all our behaviors and attitudes in, in the Western mind are justified by love. But in the East, God is, is, is just or righteous. But friends, only in Christianity is God both perfectly. God is both perfectly loving and perfectly just at the same time. And the proof perfect of that is the cross of Jesus Christ. The, the way we know that God is not just love and God is not just justice is the cross of Jesus Christ. If God were just love... Jesus wouldn't have had to die. He would have just said, forget all that stuff. Like, because he's not just, right? So no one has to die for our sin against him. So God, in this single moment, proves that he is both just and righteous and loving. Because if he was just, if he was just justice, he wouldn't have sent his son to save us. You see, friends, the love of God proves that he is, he is righteous and holy, but it also proves that, so, or just, right? But it also proves that he is loving and kind and gracious. You see, that's what the cross of Jesus Christ does for us. Because God is just, our sin <clears throat> sentenced, sentenced us to death. So that God is angry at sinners every day. That's what the, the Old Testament says. Because God is just and because he is righteous, that justice sentences all of us to death, for the wages of sin is death, right? And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the just judge cannot overlook sin without his righteousness being satisfied, because God is just. But God is love. He's not just just. Just just? That was, I didn't write that one down. It just came out. <laughs> because God is love... He sent his son to satisfy his justice and righteousness. You see? He would, he would not overlook his justice and he would not overlook his love because he can't. He's both. 
God is love and God is justice. So love in scripture is the exercise of personal sacrifice for the salvation and promotion of others, right? In other words, in the biblical sense, love is very concerned with sin because sin keeps you from life in God. It matters. You see? It's not minimized, and it's not pretended to be not sin. It calls it what it is because we need to be rescued from it if we're ever really to live. Isn't that true? To see what love means, we must see ourselves as sinners. You will not fully appreciate the love of God until you first appreciate his justice and his righteousness and the fact that we've offended him and sinned against him. You see, Scripture says in Luke chapter 6, you remember these words from Jesus? If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them, right? It's easy to love a mom. It's easy to love someone, a friend. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lends to them without expecting to get anything back and your reward will be great. You see, friends, when Jesus died for us, he did not die for friends. He did not die for people who wanted to be rescued. He did not die for people that loved him and wanted to be with him. He died for enemies. He died for people that, that rejected him and all of us were in that boat. You see, he didn't die for friends. He didn't die for a mom or a dad. He, he died for enemies that did not love him and did not want him to rescue him, but he did it anyway. That's what love is. Isn't that great news? It is, one, one person said this, it is one of the New Testament's resounding paradoxes that it is God's love that averts us from God's wrath. Do you, you, you hear how confusing that is? It is God's love that averts us from God's wrath, that same God. So God is angry at us for sin and at the same time loves us and wants to rescue us. And you say, how is that, how is that possible? I don't know. <laughs> but I know that that's how the Bible describes God. He is both just and loving at the same time. Friends, what we can infer about all this is that love is at war with anything that keeps us from real life, which is a perfect relationship with our God. Love is at war with it. Love stands in the way of God's just demands for sin so that we might be free from sin and restored to life. It's really simple, too, by the way. This is, you're losing me, man. Let me, let me give you a little illustration. If a car is bearing down on your child, right, is it loving to claim that, like, oh, well, he loves the car, so I'll just let it hit him because love... Love justifies it. No, that's crazy, right? Push him out of the way. Love is sort of going to warn him, right? Like there's a car coming, and if he's not hearing you, you're going to jump in front of him. You're going to push him. You're going to rescue that kid because you know what is about to happen. Love cries out. 
Love acts. Love works and rescues us from harm. And friend, is it not the same with the soul? Jesus said, um, what does it gain a man if he gains the, what, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? We, how do we lose our soul? We lose our soul by sinning against God, defying him, denying his law and his, and his goodness. Right? And we, we are separated from him because of it. So isn't it loving to not ignore the fact, to, to ignore that fact, but to cry out, to warn that, that because God loves you, you can be rescued? Right? The warning is God's love expressed clearly. In other words, the reason you know you love that kid is because you're calling out to him. It would prove that you don't love him if you didn't, right? See, the, 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 the resounding message of, of, in Scripture for sinners to repent is not proof that God hates you. It's proof that he loves you, right? That's the proof of his love. Love doesn't say anything goes. On the contrary, love speaks the truth precisely because it's love. And more than that, divine love is not just a warning. It's a solution. It doesn't just announce that danger approaches so that we need to run out of the way. It jumps in front of the bus. And that's what Jesus did for us. And you know what he says lastly? I want to talk about this. this is important. Love like this. You see... It's, it, in verse 11, it says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also are to love one another. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also are to love one another. In other words, it's saying the way God loved you and I, we are to love other people around us. The way God loved us is the way that we're supposed to love each other. And, and this is really, really fantastic. Because... Think about what we just said. The way that God showed his love to us is by dying for people who didn't want to be died for. Who didn't love him or desire him. What did Jesus say at the cross? Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. They're the ones that were killing him, right? So Jesus says, love people that don't want to be loved by you. That don't want your rescue. That don't want your forgiveness. That don't want your grace. Because that's what Jesus was doing when he hung on the cross. He didn't die for friends. He didn't die for people that cared for him. He died for sinners that did not want him. You see? Jesus satisfied the just demands of the law for those that did not deserve to be died for and didn't ask to be died for. Friends, will you do the same for someone else? Will you die for someone's sins? Like Christ? And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that our death, you know, our sacrifice for other people somehow satisfies God's anger towards sin. It's, I'm trying to be metaphorical, okay? Will you die for someone else's sins? By forgiving them? By a willingness maybe to pay somehow for the way that they've offended you personally? By putting yourself in a place of inconvenience and sacrifice in hopes that they might turn and live because you love them. Who have you died for lately? Who do you love like this? Who are you refusing to love like this? I have a list, you know, in my own life. This is a person I would not want to die for. 
you could have sort of secretly wished, like, I hope they lose something. I don't want them to be tortured or anything, but I want them to get it. <laughs> right? Like, but friends, who do you love like this? Who are you refusing to love like this? Maybe the one that you're refusing to love like this is the person that should be the one you're loving like that. Right? Maybe that's how you identify it. The Bible teaches that there is a sense in which Jesus died for all people. Now, this is kind of like a theological thing, and some people disagree. Jesus died for some people. Did he die for all people? I believe that the answer lies somewhere in between. There's a way in which he died for some people, and that the application and benefit of what he did only applies to some people. But there's a, there's a way in which his death was for all people. I'm not going to get into that or try to prove it to you. The only reason I'm saying this to you right now is if that's true, then it has to mean... Um, that Jesus died for people, like in other words, if not all people are saved and go to heaven when they die, Jesus died for people that would always reject him and never turn in to find life for him, for, from him, right? That has to be what that means. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That has to mean that there's a sense in which the death of Christ was for all people, right? But to, so to our point, God loves those people who will never come to him and desires them to grab a hold of him in salvation, right? So that they might too have life, that their death is not necessary, that if, by, if they put faith in him, they could be saved. So friends, let me ask you again, what unrepentant, so this is the love of God, this is how God loved us. So in the Bible says, you likewise love like God. So we have to ask a question. What unrepentant, hostile, and undeserving person have you died for lately? Have you loved like this? If we are to love like Jesus, it must mean that we desire salvation and life for enemies, not just friends. That we sacrifice for them too, like our Lord did. It's proof perfect of our love to hang twisted and tortured alongside Christ, the God who is love. And with his last few breaths, we speak with him, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. The high cost of compassion requires that we die for someone else. That's the high cost of compassion. It requires that we die with Jesus unjustly so that those who have been most cruel to us might have life. It's hard to do, I know. You know, there's a, another benefit to living like this. When you love the unlovely, your hard heart becomes soft. You see, sometimes there are people that we show the act of love to, but inwardly we're, we're angry and we're like, we twitch a little bit right, about them, but we're like, I'm, I, I got to do, do the loving thing, right, and I got to serve them sacrificially, right, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to be obedient to Christ. You know that what, the, what, what I believe is true is that the more that you do that, your heart starts to soften, right? Um, let me give you a, a silly example, okay? We had a beta fish in our house um, named Baby Blue. My kids named him, but I fed him. <laughs> and cleaned his, they did sometimes too. Um, um, but I, I did a lot of that work. I fed him, I cleaned his bowl, 
I gave him his medicine when he started to get sick, and he eventually died. But I started to love that fish. It was weird. I really started to love that, that little blue fish. Why? I think the reason why is because I was serving him in a way that he couldn't repay me. He was just a little blue fish, and he just kind of looked at me and breathed the water, and that was it. I got nothing out of it, right? That, that little guy w- wouldn't be alive if, if it weren't for other people taking care of him and feeding him, right? So we started to serve him in a way that if we had not served him, he wouldn't have survived, and he couldn't repay us either. Does that sound familiar? I think that in a small way with that little fish, I was demonstrating unconditional love, right? Now, at first when we got that fish, I didn't feel anything for him. It was a fish, right? It didn't talk to me. It didn't give me money. It didn't pay rent, right? Like, I didn't have any conversation, right? I didn't have any emotion at all for that fish. But when he died, believe it or not, this might sound weird, I was very sad. I started to love that little thing. Friends, have you stopped feeling love for your spouse or for a friend, for a teacher? Maybe someone who betrayed your trust? Can I encourage you, think of ways to, be giving, to, to begin serving them sacrificially so that they might have life? And I'm willing to bet that your hard heart will start to soften. That your actions of love will translate into your heart and you'll start to feel love as well. Start serving your wife. Start serving your husband in a way that's sacrificial without expectation of payment. And and I'm willing to bet that your heart for them will grow and grow and grow. Friends, um, let me close. Love doesn't justify any attitude or behavior. There is such a thing as right and wrong. But love is not only an affection for another. Love dies for other people in their place to bring them into life. Dear friends, let me read it again. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love another, one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. God's love is made complete in you when you start to love others. In other words, you grow in your passion for Jesus when you care for his people, when you love them, when you know them, when you serve them. You start to love your God more. And does that make sense? We are his body. Right? To love the body is to love Jesus. So as I went from that peaceful protest that day, I was driving home, and I felt a little torn in, my, in myself, in Amherst, because I saw on display something good, something pure, but also something misguided and something perverted. I saw a group of young people standing up for the dignity and worth of their friend, right? Um, I saw them opposing what is a gross misinterpretation of scripture by this supposed church from Kansas. That that teenager had some friends that day. There was something good about it, right? But I was torn because there was no gospel. Their message removed 
any idea of sin against God and just said, you're okay and you're good. It didn't move them to the Savior. See? Because there was no gospel. Their message removed real love that he so needed. That because we are indeed sinners and have sinned against God, we need a Savior. And because God is love, he gave us one. And so you can be saved too, friend. I hope that this morning that you'll learn to love your maker and that it will grow every single day. And I want to close with Isaiah chapter 49. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child as she's born? Though she may forget, though she may forget, because some moms forget, right? Not every mom is kind and loving and has motherly instinct. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. You see, I have engraved you on the palm of my hand. Your walls are ever before me. Oh, I hope that the name of God is engraved on the palm of your hands because yours is on his. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this such great love that you've given to us undeservedly when we weren't seeking it or desiring it or even understanding at all who you were. Yet in your kindness and wisdom and patience, you sent your son to die for us in, in our place, and that is love. And that teaches us how to love each other. God, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you yet, that has not put faith in Jesus Christ, the one who stood in your place, to die for sinners like us so that we might be washed clean and resurrected to life. Oh, come and get him. Cry out to God, God, save me. I'm a sinner. I want to be saved. I want my sins to be washed clean. I want to be reconciled with you, my good God and creator, and I trust that your justice was satisfied on the death and resurrection of Christ so that it wouldn't have to be put placed on me. Oh, friend, if that's you, I just want to encourage you. Come talk to me. Talk to a friend that knows Christ. Let's celebrate together. Let's make it known. Let's talk about it. God, thank you for each and every person here. And I pray, Lord, that as we close our morning together on this, your Lord's, uh, on this day, which is our, the Lord's day, God, help us to remember that you will not forget us and that you have engraved us in the palm of your hands. God, we thank you that you love us. Help us to love you in return. In Jesus' name, amen.